Hey guys, welcome back to the Pineapple Podcast. This is Jessica, and today's episode is number 12 called Jen. Today's guest is Jen. Jen reached out to me wanting to share her story because she felt that she hadn't heard a lot of stories like hers. We talk about the financial piece of IVF and how that can be a really stressful thing for a lot of couples. We also touch on the importance of having a support system while going through treatment. I hope you guys enjoy. Here is Jen's infertility story. Well, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I've been excited about this. (laughs) Good. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. I'm really happy you reached out because, like you said, I think it's important to share like all different kinds of stories. Um, And so I love when people are like, I don't see this a lot and this applies to me. Like I want to share to because someone else is definitely going through it. Um, So yeah, so I'm excited. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you. I just, I got kind of frustrated with always you know, hearing the same kinds of stories. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Um, Maybe we can start kind of at the beginning of your story. So talking a little bit about you, um, how you met your husband. um, And then did you always know you wanted kids? Um, Well, me and my husband uh, met in 2014 and it was online. at that point, like the majority of my friends had started to get married and have kids around 27. And I moved a little farther east from the Bay Area, so I wasn't going out. And so this was literally like the only way that I was going to meet people. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, and it was kind of funny because I tried several different like dating sites, Match.com and eHarmony. And what I found is it's all the same people on all the sites. Mm. So. <laughs> So I ended up just moving to a free one. Um, it's kind of funny. It's plenty of fish, which I know is like, okay. <laughs> but I got lucky. I mean, yeah. definitely. He's been a blessing in my life. Um, and I always knew that I wanted kids. Um, I've literally had like their names picked out since I was like 13. <laughs> so that was always the plan. It just took me a while to get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you guys met, it was starting a family something that you like that you talked about pretty early on, or um, how did that conversation go? Well, literally, like my husband was thirty four, and I had just turned thirty one, and so it was all out on the table. Like, look, this is my plan. This is what I want. Do you want the same thing? And that's kind of where we both agreed at that point, and so chemistry just kind of grew from there. Yeah. Did you guys get married pretty quickly or what was that timeline like? Um, We got engaged after about a year and a half and married in 2016. So it was pretty fast. But at this point, it was like, what are we waiting for? (laughs) Yeah. Had had you done any type of um, like tests or just anything to see kind of how your fertility was? Like, did you do any of the blood tests before you got married or any of that just to kind of like have an idea of of where your body was? Well, I did because um, I had an IUD until I was 27. I had a Mirena 
and uh, I took it out and my periods got really light after that. They were like three days, literally like one day spotting, one day bleeding, one day spotting. And what I know now is that can be a sign of a low ovarian reserve. And I had no idea. Um, so when I was around 32, I went to the doctor to try and figure out what was going on. And at that point, my labs were still okay. Um, I did meet with a fertility specialist. And at that point, he's all like, well, we can try IUD, I mean, IUD, um, IUI. And, and then at that point, like I, I was getting a lot of pushback from my primary care doctor and my OB because I was overweight. And so the first thing that they were recommending was that I lose weight, that that was probably the reason why I wasn't getting pregnant, even though I've always had like monthly periods, I ovulate by myself and everything. And so um, I ended up having bariatric surgery. And after that, they usually recommend that you don't try to conceive for two years because your body struggles to adjust with the malnutrition and hydration. I did get clearance from my primary care doctor after a year, just because I was kind of on the older age or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, at that point, we started trying around 2017. So, okay. yeah. How was that process of trying for you? I know like before we found out like there was an issue, we've tried for about a year and it was really stressful. You know, it, the first few months are kind of exciting and then it starts to not be that exciting anymore. And how was that all for you guys? Well, at first it was great. I mean, <laughs> we were just having timed intercourse, I've literally been logging my um, ovulation for like five years. And um, after like two or three months, I was like, okay, this is not going as planned and went to the doctor. And then they put me on Clomid. And so I did about six months of Clomid. And that didn't work. And I got a lot of pushback from the doctors because of the risk of developing cysts from taking Clomid. I had to go in like every month for vaginal ultrasounds just to make sure that there wasn't any cysts. And then it still didn't work at that point. So it was pretty frustrating. Yeah, definitely. Did they do any, were they um, like rechecking your labs every so often to see if things were changing or were they checking well, was, that kind of stuff still? Yeah, it was kind of like a little gap in between because when I first reached out, I was 32 and I had like Kaiser and and then I switched jobs and had to start over with new insurance. And so this happened like three times. And so um, by the time I finally got a job at a major um, health organization, um, I immediately went to try and seek fertility help. And they recommended that I get FMLA, the family medical leave protection, um, because I would have to miss a lot of days at work and travel all the way to um, like 30, 40 miles per, like each way to get to the fertility clinic and traffic. Oh, wow. And I was actually denied FMLA um, because I hadn't been an employee for a year. Okay. And, And so at this point, I'm like 35 and I'm like, what the heck? This is not cool. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so we did a couple of more months of Clomid um, and I did get my labs drawn and my AMH and my um, FSH were really low. And so I finally got a diagnosis of um, like diminished ovarian reserve. And so that was pretty heartbreaking. Um, and it's kind of like unexplained too. At one point, um, I was told that I had an arcuate uterus. Um, this nurse practitioner called can you me. Describe, can you describe what that is? Well, an arcuate uterus is like heart-shaped. Um, there's a couple of different like variations of it. Some can have what's called a bicorneate where it literally splits in the middle like a heart and creates two cavities. And with that kind of um, formation, you would need surgery to correct it because you wouldn't be able to carry a baby. Okay. And so this nurse practitioner calls me after I had like my first vaginal ultrasound and was like, it looks like you have a bicorneate uterus. You may never be able to carry a baby. This is wow. really expensive surgery. Um, it's not covered by insurance. I suggest you seek out of the country surgery because it may be cheaper. Wow. And I was just like driving home and I remember I was so freaked out like that my whole dream was just bl blowing up in my face. Yeah. And, and you're so, a and you're a nurse, so you like know what all the things that she's talking about are, you know. Yeah. You don't get any of that like, oh, well maybe like you know kind of the facts. Yeah. And so I did a couple of more tests. I had to repeat an HSG test. Um, that's the dye in the fallopian tubes. Most mm -hmm. painful test ever. Oh my gosh, oh. traumatizing. I had it twice. Um, and then the second time when I had the test done, the radiologist was like, well, this is the wrong test to diagnose an arcuate or bicorneate uterus. And so I'm like, well, what am, <laughs> yeah, what am I wasting this money? <laughs> And so um, finally, I had a pelvic MRI, and it ruled out that I have a completely normal uterine cavity. Oh, so at least good. that's good. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of probably stress and emotion and frustration all before finding that out. Yeah. Pain, going through it, money, like. Definitely. And yeah. it was not fun. <laughs> Yeah. So once you found out that your once you got like that diagnosis of the diminished ovarian reserve, um, what were was the doctor saying was like your course of treatment or your path to to trying to conceive? Well, even though I've been like working in healthcare for like sixteen years, <clears throat> this was the first time that a job ever even offered to pay anything towards fertility treatments. So when I found out that they would pay up to $16,000, and at this point I'm already 36, and I was like, IVF, I'm going straight to IVF. And so I wish that I would have done more research, like leading up to it, but I didn't. And this was a complete crazy roller coaster. Um, I had IVF last year, um, starting in around July. Um, only got eight eggs even though I was getting pumped up with all these hormones and um, paid for genetic testing. And out of the eight, only two of the eggs were normal. Okay. <clears throat> Can you tell me a little bit more about the IVF process for you? Like how that went? It was just, it was completely crazy. Cause first of all, like 
the estimate that they give you for IVF, the medications are not even included in that. Yeah. And so literally like the first day going into the um, fertility clinic, starting the plan of IVF, I had to charge $8,000 on a credit card immediately. And then the medications were in total probably around uh, 6,500. I was looking at Canadian pharmacies, like doing all of these pharmacy checks to try and find the cheapest option. I was even looking for donated meds, like ended up having to still buy them. Um, So it started off with having to take like estrogen pills. Um, and then birth control. And I hadn't been on birth control since I took my IUD out when I was 27. So it literally made me feel like the exorcist. Like I was complete erratic mood swings, sweating, irritable. And then through all of this, I had to work in a very demanding job and traveling every other day, um, about 40 miles each way to the fertility clinic for blood tests and ultrasounds. And having to go right back to work after all of this. So it was extremely stressful. Um, I did have my husband learn how to give me the injections. It was kind of funny. I had um, one of the nurses at the clinic draw a big circle on my butt. And so he was giving me the shots. Um, He told me afterwards that he really appreciates that he got to do that because he got to see what I was going through for us. And he said it made him appreciate me more. So we kind of had set schedules, um, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. injections. I was taking oral estrogen. I was putting it in other orifices. I mean, just really crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I gained like 10 pounds. Like it was was horrible. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that um, the weight gain can be really – triggering because with like the blow, it almost makes you look pregnant. And so it's like, you look pregnant, you're not, you're doing all this like crazy stuff to get pregnant. And like, it can be kind of a crazy mind game. Yeah, I was definitely, I totally, I struggled with it because at that point, like I already had like nursing uniforms, so they fit a little bit more comfortably. And then on the weekend, I'll go to put on my jeans and nothing would fit. (laughs) So Yeah. yeah, it was, like a total transformation. I started to get acne really bad from the meds and it was just, it was hard, um, very hard. And at that point, like I didn't have much of a support system either. So it was even more of a struggle. Like I literally leaned on podcasts like yours, um, to help feel like I had a sense of community because nobody talks about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I know that's one of the big things like why I started doing this is because when I came out about what we were going through, I had so many people reaching out being like, oh my gosh, we went through this. And I was like, I would have never known, like nobody talks about it. So hopefully, hopefully this, this gets more people talking about it. Cause I feel like it's really important. And it's been, like you said, really helpful for me too, going through it of listening to other people's stories. Yeah. Um, I believe at like that point, even after I was like 27 and my friends were all married and stuff, um, kind of like out, everyone outgrows each other. Like they start hanging out with other people that are parents and, and then I wouldn't even get invited to like children's birthday parties anymore. And 
And then going through the fertility, um, my friends started to feel kind of guilty for their own fertility. And oh gosh, I'll never forget. Like I was about to start having the IVF. Um, I got to see one of my best friends that I had. I only see her like once or twice a year now because she has kids and she's super busy. And we were supposed to go to the beach. And so she comes over to my house and like, we're packing all of her stuff and I'm laying it on her. Like I have not been able to talk to another woman about this at this point. And I'm like crying and, and just, and she literally um, went to the bathroom and called her husband and got picked up. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when I started to realize that, you know, like you have friends sometimes for certain reasons and mm-hmm. may not have been the right person to lay that all on. Mm-hmm. I remember another instance, I had a friend who um, struggled herself with fertility for like a year and a half. Um, and then at that point has been able to have like three kids in like four years. And the last time um, that she was pregnant, I didn't even know she was pregnant, even though we were talking, we hadn't seen each other in person. I found out in a Facebook gender reveal and it was like the most hurtful thing ever. I'm like, you can even have had a courtesy phone call. And, and she said that she just, she felt so guilty because it became so easy for her. Mm-hmm. So it literally just became so isolating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my husband, he's a good listener, um, but he kind of looks at everything differently. So He's more like problem and solution oriented and I'm more like feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. So once you went through IVF and then you got your results, you said you had two genetically normal Mm -hmm. embryos. So you, those, you haven't done anything with those yet. Is that correct? I had um, a frozen embryo transfer in September of last year Okay, and it resulted in a chemical pregnancy. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, the doctor at the clinic was really understanding though. Um, he let me know that I did get pregnant and that it just stopped growing at some point. And then at, at that point I felt like, wow, I was actually really pregnant and I think it made it more real and, and hurt a little more. Mm. But when you talk to other people about it, like, I had a recent encounter with a OB and um, I was telling her the story and she's like, well, that wasn't a real pregnancy. Like that's, that's just a chemical pregnancy. You weren't actually pregnant. And Hmm. I just felt like I wasn't being validated. Yeah. So I mean, just different expertise, I guess. Like she's more focused on people actually being pregnant and having babies. And then like the, reproductive endocrinologist who actually, you know, really understands more. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it gave you any more hope? Like knowing that you did get pregnant? Yeah. I mean, I did. I was a little disappointed how my whole treatment plan went because Mm. um, at one point, like I wasn't reacting to the medication, how the doctor would have liked And I thought in my own perspective that maybe my whole cycle should have been canceled and restarted the next month with new dosages. Instead, my dosages were kind of tripled. 
And then it allowed my lining to get thick um, in a matter of like a week. Was this for your, was this for your transfer? Yeah. Okay. Because usually like you're not supposed to be on the meds like more than three weeks, I guess, before they do the transfer. And at this point, like I was on four weeks already. Oh, wow. And, and so, you know, I kind of felt like it should have been canceled and restarted, but I'm not a doctor, so I can't say what's right at that point. Right. But it, it was just super disappointing because it didn't work out. Um, I kind of wished that I would have took some time off from work. I have like some guilt, but at the same time, like the position that I'm in at work, no one else can really do my job. And so there's a lot of weight on my shoulders. My doctor relies on me for his clinic. And so I felt obligated. So I just toughed it out and did it. And after that, like the whole transfer failing, I completely was a hot mess and have been in therapy since. I was going to ask what, what has helped you during this time? Well, one thing that the therapist um, and me have been working on is, I guess, like kind of as a defense mechanism my whole life, I've kind of not gotten too excited about things because I don't want to get too hurt if it doesn't work out. And my therapist is trying really hard for me to understand that, you know, your whole outlook on things can sometimes alter what happens. And Mm -hmm. so she wants me to start thinking positive and that this is going to work. And and she wants me to start like, like almost like a vision board and, Mm. and talk to my unborn baby. And some of it's like, this lady a hippie? I don't know, but I'm being, (laughs) I'm being open to it, you know, trying new things because obviously old things weren't helping. Right. Old habits. Right. So that's been helpful then talking to her and is she a fertility, like a specialty infertility therapist or more of just like a general? Yeah. But she's been good. I've connected with her. It's been kind of hard to find one that I connect with. Um, so I like her and it's been helpful. Yeah, that's great. How, what's your, where are you guys in your process right now with everything? So right now, um, the doctor kind of wanted me to have what's called the ERA test, which is the endometrial receptivity test. Mm-hmm. So I started that about a week ago and I'm like day seven on hormones again. Um, mm-hmm. And I just went for a a saline sonogram yesterday. How was that? Um, I've heard like mixed things I'm about planning it pain to wise. Have the biopsy, basically what it is, and okay. probably another week and a half. And from there, hopefully, um, they can see if they need to alter. Well, the saline sonogram, I kind of had a bad experience. Um, so they basically like put a small catheter through your um, cervix and inject water so that they can do like an ultrasound and take pictures. Well, when I had it done yesterday, it was kind of crazy. I mean, I was driving from pretty far, like 40 miles away and my air conditioning went out in my car. So that was just great. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And so I'm like dying in the car, like in 95 degree weather. Yeah. Get to the appointment and 
So I'm just thinking it's like the last saline sonogram that I had and the nurse practitioner inserts the catheter. It kind of pinched. I was like, okay. And so when she's done, she sits me up and she tells me, I think that the catheter may have cut a little bit of your um, lining. And she showed me there's like a, a sliver that was still connected on one side. And she told me that if that's not shed in my next cycle, that I may have to put the IVF cycle on hold and have a, um, a histoscopy to remove the skin that was oh cut. Oh my goodness. Yes. So I was like, this day is just great. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So they can't, or they know that that happens. So now it's just waiting till you get your period basically to see what happens. Well, she said it's safe to still have the biopsy. So I'm glad because I've been on meds and I'd be really yeah. upset. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Um, so I was a little weary about doing the biopsy at first because for one, there's not a lot of research to back it up. Um, basically like the whole thought process behind it is they have you do the IVF medications, just like you're going through a cycle. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing a egg transfer, they take a endometrial lining biopsy, which I heard can be pretty painful. And they test the cells and they see if the cells were even receptive to an egg transfer at that point. And so they can kind of decide whether or not um, they're going to change up the medication doses. But there is a chance that they may not get any information from this that I was receptive already and they can't explain why the first egg transfer didn't work. Didn't work. So it was a hard decision and it's not covered by insurance. So I just started that, you know, within the past two weeks. So literally Mm -hmm. almost a year off through this whole thing, trying to just get myself together enough to be strong enough to go through it again. It was really emotionally trying yeah. Did they, um, so you mentioned that with your first transfer, the protocol, like you didn't feel was, was the correct protocol. This is basically doing a frozen transfer protocol. So did they change it, um, for this or are you back to what you were doing before? Well, he increased the estrogen. So I think when I first did it last year, I was only taking oral pills and so now I'm in every orifice with medications. And okay. Are you doing injections also? Not yet, no. Okay. Um, I'm going to go in on Tuesday for another vaginal ultrasound so they can see if my lining is good. And then from there, give me a date for the biopsy. Okay. Do you feel like it's it, – do you feel better about it than you did the last time? I do. I feel like That's I'm good. a lot more prepared and stronger and – I have kind of developed some support systems now and coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to just go for it and stay positive. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because you had mentioned when you reached out to me about like this whole financial piece of IVF and just of, of infertility treatments. So maybe you can, um, talk a little bit about how that's been for you and kind of where your frustration is and where you're looking for support or just maybe we can open up that conversation a bit. Okay. Well, 
Um, also, I want to mention that I'm a licensed vocational nurse, which gets paid a lot less than a registered nurse. Um, we do basically all the same things, like an associate degree RN is in school for four semesters, and LVN goes to school for three. So it's literally like just one semester lacking. Um, and so basically, uh, I forgot the train of my thought. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I don't make as much money as, you know, people would think. Um, and, and, and so, your job responsibilities are, are the same? Yes. Okay. Like I do, um, at my current job, administer chemotherapy medications. I, you know, do catheters. I sit in procedures. I administer medications, literally like the same job and get paid a lot less. So that's a huge factor. Um, and it was a little hard because at one point I was, I went back to school when I was 27 to complete all eight of the required prerequisites for an, a registered nursing program. And then came kind of at the crossroad um, when I was, you know, around 34 was like, I have to hurry up and try and have a kid. So I've put like my whole nursing, you know, schooling on hold and had to take a home equity line to fund my IVF because there's no way that we could pay for it without it. And so I think at my particular clinic, um, they quote like an IVF cycle at $36,000 and that's not including medications. So like in my case, it was an extra, you know, 6,500. And so just like the thought of that alone, it's like, geez, is really expensive. And so I was grateful that my job was willing to put any money up front. Um, but now I've gone through that money and it's all on us. And so it's kind of been hard for me to ask for financial help because people will look at me like, well, you're a nurse, but they don't understand that I don't get paid like a registered nurse. And so I know recently I, I showed you the, um, the GoFundMe that I had created. <clears throat> I had um, felt really uncomfortable about putting it on Facebook um, just because, I mean, honestly, I probably need to do a Facebook cleanup. There's a lot of people that I don't really want them to know what's going on in my life. I've been pretty mm -hmm. private about it. And so I was like, well, maybe it'll be easier for me to ask strangers. And so I put my story out there on Nextdoor. And I actually got like hate mail, like people saying that this was inappropriate for me to even ask this and that I should just adopt. And so it shows I, you how uh, ignorant people are. Adoption yeah. is like way more expensive. <laughs> Definitely. And I mean, I've looked into that avenue. It's like a five-year waiting list. Um, if you want a younger baby, you wait longer. I've looked at international adoptions like Haiti and Dominican Republic, and that's around 40 grand. And they also like want you to stay on the island for like three months. And oh, I don't wow. know anybody who can afford to yeah. not work. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And just if you want to have a baby and then you have the right to do that, you know, like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And 
it's kind of like hard when people don't understand and they're like, well, just adopt. Like it's like an easy solution. So um, that was hard. I was literally like horrified from the responses that I got on next story. I actually deactivated my entire account. Um, it was a little. Now, what you sent me, I was, I was shocked to read what some of these people were saying too. Um, yeah. Just so little compassion and, um, you know, and just like lack of kindness. It's yeah. really scary <laughs> that that's what, what's, uh, what's out there to a complete stranger, you know? Yeah. So, um, I did ask for like 15,000 just because the medications alone are going to be like five grand again. I was really fortunate that I had a, a friend of mine who we got a little close, like in the past two years was also struggling with um, infertility and she went through IVF and lucky for her, it worked the very first transfer. So I got some meds from her. So that's been a huge help. Um, and when I put the, you know, the GoFundMe out there, I wasn't expecting to get hardly anything. I just wanted people to know how much this really cost. And so I finally built up the courage to put it on Instagram like a couple of days ago. And the responses that I've been getting from people that are actually friends have been great, like heartwarming. I've gotten personal messages from people that were also struggling with infertility people telling me that they were proud of me for speaking up because nobody talks about this thing. So it's been kind of uplifting and gives me hope. You know. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Cause when you sent me that, I, my heart went out to you. Cause I mean, I totally get the financial piece. Um, we're getting ready for our first cycle. And if that, and if it doesn't work, like we're going to have to figure something out because ours is completely out of pocket too. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's really uh, expensive um, thing to go through. So I, I totally hear you. Yeah. I mean, scary when I think about it, it's like borrowing against my house. Like that's so scary. So this has to work <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How has, this all been on your relationship with your husband? I think actually it's brought us closer. He's been amazing. He's been really amazing and as understanding as he can be um, with this. And, and I am just completely blessed to have him as a partner because, oh my gosh, it's such a heavy weight to carry by yourself. Yeah. Have you, you mentioned you've been pretty private. Have you started being more open, like with family and friends and, um, yeah. yeah, I would say that there's not too many people that I talk to on a daily basis that, you know, so those people already knew. Um, so I think Instagram was like my biggest outreach and, mm -hmm. and so I mean, even my husband was shocked. He's like, I can't believe you put that on there. I was like, uh, is there a problem? He's like, no, I just was surprised that you were willing to open up like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it, it has helped um, mm -hmm. emotionally, definitely, to have an outlet somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think 
having people reach out is is like that validation that maybe you were you weren't getting before and it's like people get I hear you I know what you're going through and just that can feel really good you know yeah like someone else gets what gets how hard this is yeah there's not a lot of people out and nobody that I knew except for like my one friend in the past two years has even mentioned anything about that so mm-hmm. well I wish you so much luck I'm I I'm hopeful and I hope that you're hopeful moving forward it sounds like you guys have a have a plan and you feel you feel better and um I mean this community is I've found it to be really uh supportive so so definitely yeah. finding finding more people to connect with um I think has been really helpful for me so so yeah so welcome welcome to the community <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah. I'm curious, you mentioned, um, like kind of earlier in our conversation, um, just about like something that you wish you had known looking back now, cause it's been over a year of, of going through all of this. What is maybe a piece of, of advice you would tell your former self a year ago, or, um, like, what would you, what would you wish you have known you would have known, um, now going through all of this? Well, it's kind of funny because it's like every young woman that I meet now, like I have the conversation with her. Like, even if you're not in a place right now that you want kids, I want you to get your labs checked so you know what your egg reserve looks like. Um, I mean, I was just always thinking it was never going to be a problem. So it was a complete shock when I got that diagnosis. And so I wish I could have told that to my younger self, like even when I was 27 and I took out the IUD, like, Hey, maybe you should just look to be on the safe side. Um, I think it would have been more like on the forefront for me to handle sooner than waiting till I was older, but I've always been kind of a control freak. So, I mean, I was like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to get married and I'm going to do all these things so that I can have the best possible environment to have a kid. And it's going to be great and lovely. And it's like, life does not always work out like that. We don't always have control. And so that's definitely something that I would have told my younger self too. You have to kind of let go sometimes and yeah, yeah be flexible. <laughs> yeah. I think that's been something for me too, that I've um, tried to control things and you can't. And so giving up some of that control and just kind of letting, letting things happen and being okay um, with not being okay if something doesn't go the way that you want it to, but then still like continuing on and, and just kind of like, giving in a little bit to, to what's happening. Yeah. That's why I think that therapy is so important when you're going through IVF because like in major things in your life, like for example, grief, um, you can talk to your friends and family about it, but after a while it's like you're singing the same song to them. And, and so with fertility, it's like the same song and I have to bounce it off of another person that's, going to give me advice and be more receptive to what I'm saying. And, and so I think it's been like life changing (laughs) really to have an outlet like that besides my dog. (laughs) 
I talk to her a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're good listeners, our pets. Have you found any really helpful resources during all of this that you um, would want to share? Well, definitely the podcasts have helped and just listening to all of the stories that are some good and some not so happy endings. Um, but I do feel like when you're going through all of this, it's very easy to get obsessed with things and fall down a rabbit hole. Like I was constantly following YouTube stories and, and just, it got to the point where like the algorithm on my, you know, internet browsers were all bringing up fertility related things. And when my frozen egg transfer didn't work, it was horrible because everything kept popping up. And so I don't know. I just feel like you have to kind of protect yourself still. Mm -hmm. um, try not to fall down that rabbit hole if it's possible. I mean, definitely get educated about the process, but not everybody's story ends the same. And so that's one thing that we have to remember. Yeah. And then maybe my last question would just be what has anybody, either your husband, a family member or a friend done anything that felt um, like really supportive for you or something that has been really helpful for you? Um, well, my sister has been an incredible listener. Um, she lives in another state though. So, but we do talk frequently and I think that's the best thing that she's ever been able to do for me is just allow me to cry, allow me to feel because I always put on like this facade of a strong person. Like people usually don't know that I'm going through things because I'm pretty private and I just don't let people know. Um, but I think the people that I have spoke to about it, it would help if they had some kind of education about it because I've literally like had to explain everything to everyone. Um, and I just, maybe just people don't have interest or time to look, but it's easier if they would understand. Um, I had, you know, friends that would be like, you should just be lucky that you're alive and you're healthy. Like, why are you hurting so bad because of this? Or they just don't understand. They don't have the compassion for it because they have never researched it or known anyone else that's dealt with infertility. Um, I had a past guest that I talked to who said um, they had a friend who asked them like for a podcast to listen to or for a blog to read or, um, or just some way of learning um, and asking the person going through the infertility of a good resource. Um, and that showed her like mm -hmm. that they were interested in what was going on in their life, that they were curious on how to be more supportive. Um, and it meant a lot. So I think, yeah, kind of doing some research to, to learn a little bit. And I think that's, that's a, a common theme that I've heard of just listening, just allowing the person to do what they need to do to kind of get through it and process it. Um, yeah. Also, so having... like, just you have to speak up sometimes if you need help. You you can't be afraid to reach out. Yeah. yeah. I have a, a group of friends of mine that um, I finally, I think I, I got a little upset because 
they weren't calling and checking up on me when they knew that I was going through the treatments. And so I kind of like went off on one of my friends. And so it was cute though, because she had a meeting with the other two friends and they had like a girl's weekend. And at the end of, you know, when everyone's going home, they gave me little small gifts and, and wrote me notes about how they hear me and they see me and that, you know, you have to stay strong in faith and that we'll stay strong for each other. And it was one of the greatest gifts that I ever got was that they acknowledge that they hear me and see me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I really love that. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that you found those people. I think it's, it's so important and, and feels really good for people to just say like, I might not understand what you're going through, but I am here. Yeah. That's like the best thing that anyone can do for you is just listen. I feel like. Yeah. It gets yeah. really isolating. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy that, that we got to chat and I'm excited for your story to be shared. Thank you. I really appreciate being able to share my story and, yeah. and I hope that I can reach somebody who is in a similar situation and know that, you know, there's, there's hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, we just have to take it as it comes and yeah, it is what it is. Keep moving. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Jen, for sharing your story. Don't forget to rate the podcast and leave a review. You can find me on Instagram at the underscore pineapple podcast. If you want to be a guest or sh- and share your story, please reach out over Instagram or you can email me at thepineapplepodcast.stories at gmail.com. See you next week.